Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, which diet will you try in 2022? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, episode number 77. Today, we thought it'd be appropriate to talk about diet strategies going into 2022 and highlight some of the most popular strategies of 2020 and 2021 that will probably continue to be popular going into this new year. So we figured we'd open up this conversation around specific diet strategies, some of the information around them, some of the research, some of the non-research or semantics around them, and what a healthy strategy looks like for you. So Nicole, I think let's open up with uh, some uh, goals for 2022. What do you got for me? My personal goals? Hell yeah. I call them goals, not resolutions. Because every year, every day, every month, every week, there's always goals that we set forth to do. Mm -hmm. You you want me to tell you them? I don't know if I'm willing to tell you them. I will tell you this, though. Around my goals, I always pick a word and a color to remind me of my goals. Here we go with your words and your colors. What are your words? what What are your words and your colors this January? Okay, so for 2022, my word is lead and my color is yellow. And I do have some, I'll give you some numbers surrounding my goal. Eight. Are you doing yellow underwear, yellow shoes? Like, what are you doing here? I got a, that's a good question. Cause I always buy a bunch of stuff. So I have yellow sneakers. I have a yellow sports bra. I have yellow, um, like workout tops, tank tops, t-shirts. I bought a whole bunch of yellow stuff. Yellow and black is basically the theme. So I have a couple numbers, eight, three fifty. 100, 120. Those are my four goals for the year. And that's my word and color for helping me stay on track with my goals. What about what you? Those, what are those numbers? I'm mean? not giving any more information than that. That's all you got. You have random Step numbers off. are your goals. I don't know what that means. I'm not telling anything. Stay tuned. You can come onto my Instagram account at, at Boss Blasi and you can follow all the information around those numbers. I'll what about me? I don't, I don't know if I have specific. Um, I don't know if I have specific fitness goals. I think I have more oh. business goals. Well, that's still the same thing. You know, fit- a mix of everything. My fitness goals are very general, broad. Mm-hmm. They're because they're not as important to me this year as they have been yeah. in previous years. So I'm not as focused on them. I do my biggest thing with my fitness currently is brain function. That's the, the number one most important thing to me. Those of you guys that have been listening to our show, you know that I'm in grad school and I maintain my physical activity and my Nutrition. exercise, especially my cardiovascular exercise, because I find that that has the biggest impact on my brain function. That if I get away from doing my cardio, that I find that it's more difficult for me to focus. So I'm that those are the things that I'm going to continue to drive. But my primary goals are really more education based and business based for Eat Right Nutrition and what we're going to do to project ourselves forward in the new year. So those are your more primary foods and you're using your secondary foods, which is your, your 
carbs, fats, proteins, water, and exercise as your drivers to make those things successful. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. All righty. Now we're talking. And for those of you guys who don't know about primary and secondary foods, we have done a total of two episodes on the topic. And I don't remember which episodes they are, but scroll through and just look for primary foods or Google Eat Right Nutrition and keywords, Eat Right Nutrition, Primary Foods podcast. And I'm sure you'll find it that way. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get into it. Nicole, today we're going to talk about popular diet strategies. We're going to cover four different diets. We're going to cover keto. We're going to cover intermittent fasting, and we're going to cover paleo and carnivore. Okay. Carnivore, I think being the newest one that has been added within the last couple of years. I mean, listen, keto has been around since like 400 BC. And I don't know if it was coined keto until like the 1920s. Intermittent fasting has been around. We've heard about it for many years now, probably over a decade, maybe, maybe even two. And the paleo diet's been around. I, to me, the paleo diet's been around since CrossFit's been around, but obviously paleo has been around since Paleolithic times. So none of these are really that new. They're not, but they're popular and they're hot as always. Uh, keto popular. keeps popular. Keto keeps kind of resurfacing. It was, you know, Atkins was a version of keto. Uh, there's a bunch of different stuff around keto. So let's talk a little bit about that. And the reason why I say okay. keto originated in 400 BC was because it was in a time where Hippocrates was still alive and children were suffering from epilepsy. And what he would find is that kids would have seizures, would have the seizure disorder, which is epilepsy, and they would have seizures for five days straight. And it was so bad that they couldn't eat anything and it caused them to fast. And on the sixth day, the seizures would subside and there was some kind of a correlation there. And then the thought was, okay, well, if these kids fast, then their seizures kind of dissipate. Mm -hmm. And then you fast forward into the 1920s where researchers really started to look into this and they say, hey, how can we create this environment? Because we can't just starve these kids. How can we create this same environment without fasting being a component? And then you realize that, well, it's the production of ketone bodies. And you can do that with a very low carbohydrate diet and a high fat diet. Mm-hmm. So this is where the ketogenic diet came from. And what the typical ketogenic diet looks like is usually around 70% of your diet of your or your calories, 70% of your calories coming from fat, 20% from protein and 10% from carbs. Typically, the lower protein is to prevent gluconeogenesis because you do have amino acids that can go through that process to uh, convert into carbohydrates. And that's you, you don't really want that in a ketogenic strategy. So you don't want to consume too much protein in a ketogenic diet. All right. So the way the ketogenic diet works is you eliminate carbohydrates, most of them, right? You pretty much have like 10% carbohydrates, which is kind of like trace carbohydrates from things like vegetables and things like that. But you're not going to eat much fruit. You're not going to eat starches maybe able to get away with eating some berries because they're low in sugar. Um, but you're essentially eliminating, eliminating up a, a whole food group different mm-hmm. from a low carb diet where you're having some carbs, but it's on the lower end and you never really reach that ketogenic state. Mm-hmm. So ketogenic diet, your brain needs to function. Your brain and central nervous system need to function and they can operate off of predominantly glucose. And in times of starvation or fasting, or high fat, low carb, your body can create these ketones 
and those ketones can be used by the brain and central nervous system to function. So one of the things to keep in mind with the ketogenic diet is when you're working out, if you're going to try this strategy going into 2022, and it's something that you've been thinking about, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. For most people, the ketogenic diet is you're eliminating a food group. And I think for most people that is difficult to do. Mm-hmm. You may be able to do it short term, but what are you going to do long term? And what I always say to people who want to try keto is, OK, great. First, we need to see if this is something you can comply with, because there are individuals, Nicole, you and I know that there are individuals that just gravitate towards more fat and they would have an easier time doing a ketogenic diet. But if you're somebody that loves carbs, keto might not be the solution for you. The other thing you need to keep in mind is what type of workouts are you doing? Right. And this is something that I've gotten over and over again from the CrossFit community. Well, I want to try a keto diet. Well, you can't try the keto diet because you do essentially high intensity interval training. Mm -hmm. And when you raise your heart rate so high, your body is going to want to make glucose and that's going to knock you out of ketosis. So depending on what your workout is, like if you're doing your typical bodybuilding bro split style workout, Mm -hmm. then yeah, you'd be okay to do a ketogenic strategy, but you can't do any high intensity cardio. Yeah. Maybe you can like once a week or something like that, but that's essentially not going to keep you in that ketogenic state. Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody who's doing high intensity interval training, maybe you're taking group fitness classes or you're doing CrossFit or you're doing orange theory, right? Mm -hmm. Those types of heart rate based workouts, they're not really going to work for you in terms of this type of a strategy. Even if you're lifting heavy, I mean, wouldn't you even say someone that's like really trying to push their PRs from even a lifting strategy would have a hard time doing that. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, you're not getting stronger doing keto. I've, from what I've experienced myself Mm -hmm. anecdotally is that I didn't get stronger. If anything, I got weaker doing keto and you're not building muscle doing this. And I don't care what anybody says. Like you just build muscle a lot easier eating carbs. Even some, like we're not even talking about a high carb where the whole idea here is the amount the portion, right? From an adherence standpoint, it's hard enough to get clients to eat a balanced meal plan, you know, enough carbohydrates, enough fat and enough protein to just exist. And then adding exercise to that or different lifestyle factors that play a role into that to to be eliminating a a complete macronutrient altogether. I, I have never really had a client that's successfully been able to do it longer than a few months anyway. So for me, I, I, my whole thing is long-term strategy. I think everybody on the podcast knows me by now that that is always my goal. So, I mean, if you're looking for something quick to give it a try, sure, give it a try and see how you feel. But in the end, if it's not something that you can actually stick to or adhere to, or that is even enjoyable to do, which is another piece that I would add to that, you know, if your workouts are suffering, I, I don't know. I always let clients try things and I always say, let's give it a shot and see how you feel. But then I look at all the biofeedback and the markers of health and all of the the factors of if this is something they can actually comply with to really see if it's something that will work. I I really have never had anyone stick to it for more than a couple months. Well, so, Nicole, it's interesting bringing up the the markers, the health markers, right? So if you go Mm -hmm. and you get your lab work, and this is something that I've heard reported with keto often is, oh, keto helps your blood lipid profile. Mm -hmm. 
yes, it can, but it also depends how you're doing keto, right? So you've got people who are like in the kind of Atkins camp of keto where it's like, well, just eat, you know, butter and lard and, and, uh, bacon and, you know, all the saturated fat you want. And typically what we find is that people who eat more saturated fat, they eat less polyunsaturated fat. Right. It's and, and then if you eat more, so it's not necessarily that the saturated fat is bad for you. It's that you're losing the protective effects of the polyunsaturated fat because right. you're eating so much saturated fat. So you really have to be careful with the types of fat that you're taking in. And this is where we get into, okay, so you need to consume omega-3 fatty acids. You also need to consume omega-6 fatty acids, and you need to have some monounsaturated fatty acids, or you'd want to have predominantly fats that are quote unquote on the healthier side. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes what I'll find is that people doing a keto diet are just eating a lot of beef and animal fat, and they're neglecting the other healthy fats that they should be eating. Yeah. And again, you know, I really can't stress enough long-term strategy. Like, you know, with our clients, we have a, a lot of our clients are tracked and monitored for these type of feedback um, or this type of stuff. Like if you are going to do it, make sure your doctor is paying attention to your blood work. I have my competitors do blood work before they compete, after they finish competing. Like it is really important to pay attention to what's going on inside your body. Short-term results, like, okay, it's 2022 and you're ready to take control of your health and wellness, go to the doctor, get some basic blood work, try the keto diet, go back and track it again. Then go, if you can continue to do it past a couple of months, go back in six months when you've done it, go back in a year when you've done it. And I think these are the things that people don't really pay attention to. They're just like, I want results right now. This is the what did you call it? Trendy, popular diet. So I'll give it a try. They don't think about blood work. They don't really care about what's going on with their health. They give it a shot. It gives them a quick fix. They drop some weight. Their, their pants fit better and they feel better. So woohoo, it's a success. But then six months down the line, a year down the line, they either have a different blood panel now because things are starting to change. Like nothing in the body happens that fast in the long run. Like it can, it, it can in the short term seem good, but then six months to a year down the line, there can be, what do we call them? Like you, what's it when you have an earthquake and there are small earthquakes after <laughs> what's that called? I don't, like, I don't, I'm not an earthquake specialist. <laughs> like aftershocks. That's what the word I was looking for. Like, so, you know, you shake everything up and your body changes. This is the analogy I use. And then the aftershocks come where little things happen here and there as you progress and you start to realize these aftershocks may not be as much of a benefit as you thought this whole process would be at the beginning. So I think it's really important to pay attention to the long haul. Just check as you go. Listen, I don't really think that if you're conscious around the types of fatty acids that you're taking in and quality foods and nutrients and nutrient dense foods. I don't think that somebody can't do a ketogenic diet in the long term. Again, there's no data to really say whether they can or can't. Well, that's, that's I, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I don't think that people, I, I don't foresee any long term health consequences. As long as, like I said, you're focused on your fatty acid composition. I think that's one of the most important things to focus on. The other thing that you need to focus on when you're doing a keto diet is you have to focus on your water intake. You're going to have to drink more water. And the reason being, and this is kind of tied into the rapid weight loss in the beginning of doing a keto diet, ketogenic diet, because what happens when you do keto is the first thing that you lose is your glycogen. 
And with glycogen, you lose water because for every molecule of glycogen that your body stores, it stores three molecules of water. So mm -hmm. your first 10 pounds in those first two weeks, like, oh man, I lost 10 pounds in two weeks. This diet is amazing. Yeah. You lost water weight. Yeah. Eat carbs again. Those 10 pounds are coming on right, coming right back. back on. Yeah. So back. you got, you have to keep that in mind, but because you're not storing glycogen and you're not storing water, you have to make sure that you're consistently keeping yourself hydrated because your body's always also always losing water. And the other piece to that is if your body's always losing water, it's always losing electrolytes. So mm -hmm. when individuals are doing keto, I always recommend you're going to have to probably supplement with some electrolytes. Yeah. Now I look at keto from a kind of mechanistic standpoint in terms of, and we'll get more into uh, kind of paleo, but like, why was the mechanism developed? Well, it was developed as a secondary mechanism when your body didn't have adequate energy and adequate fuel and your body didn't have adequate carbohydrates available. It needed an alternate source of fuel to survive. And that source of fuel was ketones. And ketones are really good at fueling the brain and mental energy and mental focus. This is why you get people who have done a keto diet and they'll report my, my brain and my focus just feel so much better. And mm -hmm. this is how this, I, I just feel good. Yeah. Right. And the reason why you feel good is because you need to be sharp in order to seek out food. Mm -hmm. So from that kind of aspect, from a paleolithic standpoint, it makes sense that you'd fall back on the secondary mechanism that would make you sharp. And then you can, you know, hunt, find food and do all the things that you needed to do. But the ketogenic diet, like I said, you're, you're going to deplete minerals. You're going to want to basically salt everything. You're going to want to make sure you have adequate potassium, a lot of leafy greens. You're going to want to make sure you have adequate magnesium too. You're going to lose all of these things when you're doing a ketogenic strategy. So with that being said, what I will say is as far as muscle is concerned in terms of keto, I didn't find keto effective in terms of building muscle and the data supports that. And if you're looking to recomp, I don't think that keto is the strategy for you going into 2022. If you're looking to, hey, I want to build muscle and lose body fat, maybe you might be able to do that if like the newbie gains, right? Yeah. You go into keto and you're first time gym goer. But if you're a little bit more seasoned, that's not going to happen. And if you're looking to build muscle and that's your primary goal, you also have to look at going into the new year. What is my primary goal? I know I want to build. Listen, most people are. I know I want to build muscle. I know I want to lose body fat. But which one is your primary goal and what do you want to focus on first? You can recomp if you're brand new, but if you worked out all of 2021, don't expect to recomp going into 2022. So that's basically the keto diet in a nutshell. I will also mention the fact that some of the benefits of the ketogenic diet are replicated. And we're going to talk about this, this is going to be a reoccurring theme. It's always a reoccurring theme when we're talking about different diet strategies and certain claims about different diet strategies. Uh, one of the things with the ketogenic diet is that it increases mitochondrial density. So you get a larger number of mitochondria, which if you've taken high school biology, everybody knows the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Uh, that's where your energy is processed, right? So what will happen is in order to be able to use these ketones efficiently, your body will create more mitochondria and it'll alter mitochondrial DNA where the DNA of these mitochondria will create more efficient mitochondria so they can process energy better but it's not unique to keto. The other things that 
cause this to happen are just exercise in general. And Nicole, we've talked about what is that saying? Uh, uh, JT that uses he talks about does it burn the four the B's and H's the B's and H's. What are they breathing, burning, heated and heavy? Right. So if you're breathing, burning, heated and heavy throughout your workout, you're creating this environment mm -hmm. and increasing mitochondrial density. Also, you can replicate this by being in a 25 to 30 percent caloric restriction. So if you're in a calorie deficit of 25 to 30 percent, your body's going to want essentially exercise and keto and well, fasting, which will be the next thing that we go into and a calorie deficit, they're creating an environment where you're demanding more energy and more efficient utilization of fuel. Mm -hmm. Therefore, your body will create more mitochondria. All of these things are good for creating mitochondrial density. So you can create a calorie deficit and you can work out and make sure that it, fuck, what is it? Bur your bees <laughs> burns and, and hurts and sweating and <laughs> hot. <laughs> that you're breathing, it's burning, you're heated and it's heavy. <laughs> yes. So if all those things are happening, then you're, you're increasing mitochondrial density anyway. If this is a strategy that you want to try, just be prepared to keep in mind, you have to keep your minerals up. You have to keep your hydration up and you've got to make sure if your if fat loss is your primary goal, you got to make sure that you're in a calorie deficit. If you're in, a, in keto and you're eating in surplus and you're eating too much fat, which is very easy to overconsume mm -hmm. because fat is more calorically dense than your other macronutrient counterparts, you need to make sure that you're, you're monitoring that. So in, and I, I'll kind of preface this and, and kind of highlight this now, any strategy that you're doing for fat loss going into 2022, you're going to need to log, track, monitor, make sure that you're getting in adequate uh, adequate protein, make sure that you're getting adequate or, or not too much. You're not eating too many calories. You're staying hydrated and you're focusing on nutrient density. Those are the things that you're going to have to focus on that you may have not focused on in previous years when you, you know, tried to do what you tried to do and it, you know, maybe didn't work out for you. Yeah. And that you stay, I think actually it's breathless burning, heated and heavy. So you want to make sure your workouts make you breathless. So there's intensity that it burns so that you're actually moving that you're heated, meaning you're sweating, and that it's heavyweight because we love to lift. You make me breathless, Nicole. Does that mean that you're increasing <laughs> <my> mitochondrial density? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, you make me heated and <laughs> heated and pissed off. <laughs> well, All see, right. then I, I am such a benefit in your life. You're so good for me. <laughs> you're the uh, micro stressor in my life. Oh my gosh. I'm going to, can I put that on my dating profile? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Wait, you have a dating profile? What, what no, do I, I know? <laughs> All right. I absolutely so, do not. Moving along. And then I think next week we'll talk about Nicole's dating profile and her dating <laughs> escapades. All right. So moving along, I want to talk about intermittent fasting, which has been a, I just think it like every year, it just stacks on top, just more popular, more pop, like more people ask about it. More people are trying it. Um, this is something where, okay, so let's, let's kind of highlight fasting. Okay. Fasted is a metabolic state that the body enters after eight to 12 hours without food. I do that when I sleep every night. Yeah, me too. I do about eight hours without food, maybe even more depending on what time I ate before I went to bed. Mm -hmm. It's defined as a shift in nutrient use from external to internal sources. The shift is what creates the biochemical changes and the quote unquote potential benefits of fasting. So the shift from external to internal, you're not getting external fuel sources. Your body's going to start to rely on 
internal, it's going to use glycogen. It may go into ketosis. You'll start to use ketones for energy. Might go through gluconeogenesis and break down some proteins, which is something that you don't want to do. So you always want to, regardless of what you do. And like we always say is keep your protein intake high and use a protein centered or protein anchored approach where protein is the macronutrient that you're focusing on in a specific quantity, which I think Nicole, you and I'll get into in the wrap up of this episode, the benefits from, and this we've done, we've done an episode on this. We've talked about this, the benefits that I find from fasting, they largely stem from, from caloric restriction. There is not a single benefit that I've seen with fasting that doesn't cross over into the territory of the research on just calorie restriction. Well, basically that's what it forces people to do. So that's what you're doing is you're, you're creating a time restricted eating window where now I will highlight this and I'll say this for some people, that kind of a structure and restricting their eating window, usually it's like a, a 16 and eight, yeah. right? So 16 hours fasted, eight hours of eating for some people that does it all. That's what creates that deficit for them. That's what works for yeah. them. And they will structure their, their, maybe they'll work out fasted and then eat, or they'll eat their first meal right before their workout. However, they time it and it works for them. If that's effective for you, then by all means do it. If that's what it takes to get you into a calorie deficit, right. then go if ahead and thrive. do it. If you what, thrive on that structure, I think it is a good option for you. If you like that type of structure, second shift workers seem to really benefit from that. You have people that work at night. Yeah. So they'll fast during the day. They'll fast during the day. They'll work out and then they'll have, let's say a protein shake or something. And then they'll go, you know, have, have their meals. Yeah. What I will say that you want to be careful about when you're doing an intermittent fasting strategy is eating too little is first and foremost, Mm -hmm. because we know if you eat too too little calories, you are over the long term going to have some metabolic adaptation where you're going to lower your resting metabolic rate or your basal metabolic rate. Uh, that's going to go down and essentially you're regulating thyroid hormone, which is slowing down your metabolic rate. And that's going to make it harder for this being a fat loss strategy for you. The other thing to look out for is you can still overeat, although it's more difficult in that smaller eating window. If you're not focused on quality of food and you're still eating refined processed foods in that time, you can still overeat and that fasting is not going to produce fat loss for you. Right. Well, if you're, if you are panicking, thinking you have to get all your food in, in a certain period of time that will, you know, in or if you're not it, tracking, if you're not tracking, exactly. So you, you, think. you still need to track your calories on from yeah. both sides of the spectrum. You need to make sure you're not eating too little. And by too little, I mean, below your normal, what would be your estimated basal metabolic mm-hmm. rate, which, you know, obviously it fluctuates day to day with stress, sleep, what types of foods you're eating, that's going to affect it. But below a baseline threshold, you should not be eating on a continuous basis. And then you have to track because you have to make sure that you're eating, you're not eating too many calories and you're not in a surplus. Exactly. Now, some of the other claims around intermittent fasting and Nicole, we've talked about this uh, metabolic autophagy which mm-hmm. is essentially like a self, like a cleanup process. Uh, it's derived from the Greek meaning self-eating. So essentially it's your cells eating themselves, which is a healthy process for your cells to go through. And essentially what happens is in the trillions of cells in your body, over time, 
your body starts to develop some unwanted molecules that can build up inside of them, misfolded proteins, damaged parts that don't work anymore, that don't really serve a purpose for the cell. Uh, and this, this autophagy is a process that responds to this problem. So during autophagy, the cells remove the unwanted molecules or dysfunctional parts and allow the cell to function just more efficiently. Yeah, it's like a cleanup. Now, what we find with autophagy is that in a calorie surplus, autophagy slows down and in a calorie deficit, autophagy speeds up. So a 20 to 30 percent, I think this is a, a study from 2019, showed that a 20, 30, 20 to 30 percent caloric restriction showed, showed significant metabolic autophagy without fasting, which to me begs to question, does intermittent fasting increase autophagy? Because this is one of the things that's highly touted amongst the fasting community is uh, metabolic autophagy. Intermittent fasting is king. Does intermittent fasting cause autophagy or does the calorie restriction brought on by intermittent fasting? Yes. Is that what's causing the autophagy? And I think that it's the latter. Now, from a, from a fat loss, from a fat loss standpoint, and this goes to with the keto as well, with the ketogenic strategy is that we don't find a difference whether you're doing uh, like a zone diet, like a 40% carb, 30% protein, 30% fat, which Nicole, you know, I like, I'm a fan of mm-hmm. because it's a more balanced approach. Uh, or if you're doing low carb or intermittent fasting, or if you're carb cycling, or you're just doing a calorie deficit, wh- whatever it is, it's the, the most important thing is which deficit can you comply with? And that's right. what's going to lead to your ultimate weight loss. We, we don't see any drastic differences in different macronutrient compositions or fasting versus just regular calorie deficit in terms of total weight loss. Now, what we do see is actually low fat diets, which is kind of counterintuitive to keto. We see that lower fat diets tend to fare slightly better, but it's not entirely significant. If we're talking about the difference between like a half a pound weight loss or fat loss, like you're not even going to notice that. So there aren't many differences uh, in the research when it comes to total weight loss or total fat loss, uh, with different strategies. But I will say to highlight this also, when it comes to muscle mass is we do see somewhat of a difference with intermittent fasting versus continuous feeding, which would be the opposite. That would just be like, Hey, I'm in a calorie deficit and I'm eating, let's say uh, three, three to five meals throughout the day on a consistent basis. Uh, we do see that you do maintain slightly greater, and this makes sense, a slightly greater amount of uh, lean body mass mm-hmm. when you are uh, continuously feeding over intermittent fasting. So that might be something to consider if you don't want to lose that muscle that you've been working so hard for that you want to consider that. So really, I think the goal of this podcast today is to just kind of highlight some of the pros and cons. Like if you if you are worried about your muscle mass, maybe intermittent fasting is not for you, but if you are worried about something that you can comply with and intermittent fast, like let's say, Nicole, like you said, you're a second mm-hmm. shift worker, then maybe intermittent fasting is for you. Yep. But I just don't want people to think that there's like some magical solution going into the new year. Correct. Like none of these are magic. Not There is no magic, basically. The magic, if there is magic, is that you stick to something and it becomes a lifestyle long term. Yeah. And you're consistent. Listen, with the keto, yeah. with the keto thing, I've, I've got a buddy who's like gained a bunch of weight, lost a bunch of weight, gained a bunch of weight, lost yeah. a bunch of weight. Right. And every time he lost weight, it was keto. 
And he's like, I got to go back to keto. And I'm like, but that's not sustainable for you. You're not, you keep gaining the weight back. So obviously keto is not the solution. This is something that we have to think about. Yeah. We don't just want to go into the new year with a goal of, I want to lose this weight. And then when I lose that weight, I'm I'm good and I'm going to stop there. And I think that's a mindset thing that it's a problem that we need to solve when we're going into these strategies. You always need an exit strategy, right? I say this all the time. I say this with keto. When clients of mine want to come to me and they say, hey, I want to do keto. I say, okay, great. We need to figure out if this is going to be a sustainable solution for you or if we're going to need an exit strategy. And if we need an exit strategy, we have to plan that now. Mm-hmm. And we have to figure out, I need you to be in the mindset of what that's going to be, what that's going to look like. Because if we don't think about it up front, one of the issues becomes when we get to that point of maintenance, that person's like, oh man, I'm scared. I don't want to put on extra. And it's like, you're, you're probably, exactly. you're, we're going to slowly introduce carbohydrates back into the diet. Yeah. And chances are, guess what? You're going to gain back the water weight. But yeah. if we're checking your body fat and your skeletal muscle mass, and all of those things are in order as we're increasing your calories, taking you to maintenance and mm-hmm. reintroducing carbohydrates, then we're golden. But we need to have that conversation up front or you listening to this podcast, you have to have that conversation with yourself of before you even start that strategy, what's going to be my exit strategy? How am I going to go back into maintenance? Yeah. And that would be with anything, like whatever type of weight loss strategy or fat loss strategy or whatever you're going to adhere to. If it's, if it's something that's short term, I mean, let's be honest, you definitely need an exit strategy. You and you wouldn't even need it's not even an exit strategy, but you need to be able to pivot as your body changes and adapts. So whether it's an exit strategy or an adaptation strategy, whichever it is, as your body changes, you have to be able to pivot and turn. I think that's the other thing, too, that I would say a lot of the times people get so pigeon held on doing something one way and then something changes and they they want to create a change in a different way eat a different way, exercise a different way. They're so afraid to make the change because to your point, they think this won't work the way keto worked or this won't work the way whatever form of exercise worked. And they get so scared that they just become paralyzed and don't make any change. I think that's really important. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to see if something doesn't work. We've talked about this so many times before, and I talk about this with clients daily. It's okay to, to find something that doesn't work and then make changes so even if you do try to fast intermittent fasting or keto and you find it doesn't work for you, that's okay. You pivot, you change, you work around it and you figure out a better way that works for you. I like allowing people the ability to try things, learning from what you gain or don't gain from it. And then this is where developing your individual diet, food plan, strategies, whatever you want to call them to live your best life. That's where that all happens. So it's by all means, want people to be able to feel like they're empowered and control of the choices they make for their body and what they decide to do in 2022. Also keep in mind that it's okay to change your mind, try different things. If it doesn't work, find something else, morph it to kind of fit you and who you are and your lifestyle and what you love to eat and how you want to implement those strategies to live your best life, feel your best. Well, you know what that reminds me of, Nicole, is when we've had these in our caseload of clients that they'll come on board and then a month, a month in and they haven't, I haven't lost any weight, right? I haven't lost any body fat or like nothing's really changed. And it's like, well, we're still learning together. 
Right. And I, I think that those things that you're talking about, Nicole, are those learning experiences, like everything that you do, nutrition and fitness wise, is an opportunity, whether or not the scale moves, it's an opportunity for you to learn what's working and what's not. Yeah, and that yeah. takes time. And where I get frustrated, Nicole, is the people that they don't give it that time and they don't see that as a learning opportunity. And they're right. just like, oh, well, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to go hire some other coach and I'm going to do the same shit with them too. When they haven't figured out what it is that needs to be figured out in the first month or two of coaching. Yeah. I have to admit, I, I hear that a lot. Like you get clients that come in and go, I used to work with this coach and it didn't work. And I'm always a little skeptical when I hear that because listen, there are fantastic coaches out there. And I mean, there are also bad coaches, but a lot of coaches really are trying to do the right thing with their clients. And I think from a client standpoint, I always try and gently bring up, well, were you really adhering to it? How much of it did you really pay attention to? Did you give it the chance to fail really so that you, and what did you learn from it? Which is always my question. I'm like, okay, if it didn't work with that coach, what do you think went wrong and what did you learn from it? And there are always some really great things in there that that helps me then to coach them differently. So I like learning about that stuff, but yeah, just don't give up. That would be my tidbit for today. The, <laughs> into other, thing 2022. I, the other thing I look at, and I've been looking at this lately with certain clients is it's maybe it's not your nutrition. Maybe it, you're not, I'm writing you workouts. Are you even working yeah. out to the capacity Enough. that you need yeah. to? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Is the intensity there? Because that's a super important factor in terms of muscle hypertrophy and yeah. how many calories you're burning throughout your workout. I know you can't track those, but you well, know. that's why we have the B's and H's. <laughs> yeah, I think that the bit, the big thing, the big piece to this for whatever food plan, diet strategy, whatever you want to call this, it has to be something that you enjoy doing. It has to be something that also is effective for your goal. So if you can blend in the two, like, listen, I have got clients that are like, just tell me exactly what I need to do. I don't even care if it's fun or enjoyable. I don't care. I just want to get to the goal. Just It has to be effective. That always works for a little while. And then we end up morphing it into something that's more enjoyable because you end up hitting a wall. Like it's, it's great to eat all the boring foods with no fun for a short period of time. And it works. Don't get me wrong. And that's okay. It's also great to eat cookies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, oh. I, I have to say, I, so I had a client bring me cookies. You know, it's holiday time. Clients start bringing you things. I had a client bake cookies and she baked a massive amount of cookies. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with all this. Like, <laughs> you give you pass the joy on. That's what I do. Yeah, they're in the freezer. They'll be there for oh, I'm <laughs> like, I'll just stuff them in there. And if I find that I'm eating them consistently, I'll just get rid of them. See, you that's my clients are amazing. So I have a client. She gave me three cookies and they were to die for oatmeal butterscotch cookies. Oh, they were so good. But she gave me three. So my clients already learned about portion. <laughs> That's all she gave well, me. It was, it was but the worst she was part, like, wait, let me finish. The worst part was that I texted her like a day or two later. And I was like, can I get the recipe for those cookies? Because I wanted to make more. Well, thing so is with my, I was like, why did you bring me so many cookies? And she's like, well, I wasn't keeping them in my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so See? I guess you keep Bread them in the my joy. house. <laughs> all right. So you can't, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> moving along the third diet is paleo. And I, I will say this, I'm going to start by saying the positive of paleo, because I think there's a huge positive of paleo and paleo and like something like whole 30, whole 30 is essentially paleo. Yeah. 
the biggest pro to paleo is the fact that it teaches you to eat real food. It cleans it up for you. It's regardless if mm-hmm. whether or not the concept is bullshit, it doesn't matter because you're eating whole foods, right? You're not eating refined foods. You're not eating processed foods. You're getting rid of that. You're eating fruits and vegetables. You're eating yeah. proteins. You're eating meats. I think with, on the protein side of things, I think some of the misconception that I've heard around uh, paleo and I'm very familiar with paleo and I'm very familiar with the paleo diet as it pertains to the CrossFit community because they adopted two yeah. things, right? They adopted paleo and they adopted the zone diet, right? Mm-hmm. So paleo was a way for them to focus on. And this is from from the top down from Greg Glassman, who created CrossFit. He decided to adopt the paleo diet because it focused on quality. And the zone diet, which was the 40% carbs, 30% protein, 30% fat, and it was broken down in this block system where each block had a value and you're eating a certain number of blocks, like 21 blocks for the day is like X number of calories, right? Now, that that's where they were able to combine, okay, well, you're eating real food and you're eating the right quantity, which I don't think was a bad approach. So the, the whole food aspect was great. Now, where paleo, where I, where it kind of misses, goes over my head where I'm like, all right, now it's a little redundant. The whole kind of lectin, lectins cause leaky gut and that leaky gut causes autoimmunity. So we do know that there's a link between leaky gut, which in the research is the leaky gut is kind of like the, um, like the commercialized term for uh, intestinal increased intestinal permeability, or in some of the research, it's uh, intestinal hyperpermeability, right? Where it's just, it's too much permeability. So essentially what happens with the gut is that you, there are certain foods that you eat that will be an irritant, or it's also linked to the microbial composition, right? So the Uh, bacteria that's in your colon that will control the tight junctions in your gut. Essentially what happens is they let in and out certain things, right? So certain small molecules can get through and they can diffuse through this layer. And then what happens when you have hyperpermeability or quote unquote leaky gut, those junctions kind of open up and they allow larger molecules that shouldn't get in. And there is a link with this to autoimmunity, but there isn't hard research on lectins causing leaky gut in a the vast majority of people. And I'll I'll reference it like this. I remember when Rob Wolf wrote The Paleo Solution and he talked about this concept of leaky gut as it pertains to lectins. What he had said was, you know, lectins cause leaky gut and leaky gut leads to autoimmunity. And I I had gone to the back of the book and I read one of the studies that he had referenced. I read a few of the studies that were referenced and one specifically stuck out to me because it essentially said, I think it was like rheumatoid arthritis. And it's, it had said that, you know, uh, 1% of the population suffers from autoimmunity, which we know that autoimmunity is rising for some reason, especially in, in Western culture, like in the U S autoimmunity is definitely, so it's probably greater than 1% now. Essentially what the study had highlighted was that 1% of the population suffered from autoimmunity. And of that population, 1% of that 1%, that autoimmunity was exacerbated with consumption of lectins. And this was my issue with paleo is that you'll take something that affects 1% of 1% of the population and you'll blanket statement and say, nobody should eat lectins. And the same goes for the whole concept of nightshades. 
I don't really care what Tom Brady has to say about nightshades. <laughs> and I don't really care about the whole TB12 thing and don't eat nightshades. <laughs> and people be like, oh, well, Tom Brady does it. And I'm like, yeah, well, you think Tom Brady performs that way because of not eating nightshades or because <laughs> it's a genetic anomaly? Yeah. Right? So uh, some of these concepts are not, like, I'm not going to say don't eat string beans. And I'm not going to say don't have potatoes. And I'm not going to say don't have oats, which interestingly, uh, Dr. Lauren Cordain from Colorado State University, who wrote one of the earlier books, he was actually um, uh, Rob Wolf's professor, and he wrote one of the earlier books on paleo. And then he wrote paleo for athletes. And he kind of contradicted himself when he wrote paleo for athletes, because he said, don't have oats in the, his original paleo book and then paleo for athletes. He said, have oats. Why? Because it's an excellent source of carbohydrates because you can perform better. Right. So, you know, the whole not having grains, I, I'll say this too. When it comes to fiber intake, your grains are going to be a greater source of fiber than your vegetables. Grains are just inherently just naturally higher in fiber. And if we're talking about intestinal permeability, what we know now from recent studies, 2021, is that fiber increases or fiber decreases intestinal permeability. And it's one of the most important contributing factors because it's feeding your, especially the soluble fiber, right? So soluble fiber is going to uh, feed the, um, the bacteria, the good guys, which are going to create short chain fatty acids, specifically butyrate, which has a, a positive outcome for those tight junctions and just for your, your cells in general. Right. And we, what we also know from a digestive system standpoint is that dietary fiber also uh, increases GLP2, which is a glucagon like peptide 2, which helps with uh, cellular proliferation. So it helps you create new, more new vibrant cells within your colon. So those things, those foods that contain these dietary fibers that also may contain these quote unquote lectins, they also have these be beneficial compounds and these beneficial effects on your colon. So you kind of have to weigh these things. Now, am I going to say that nobody is sensitive to lectins or nightshades? No, because there is some information to support that, but we're talking about a very small portion of the population. Anyhow, I'm done with my rant. <laughs> um, the paleo diet, I think one of the biggest things, like I said, that I like about paleo is that it is, it's teaching you to eat, eat real food. So if I had to kind of choose one thing for people, like I would say, and this is how I used to coach it when I would coach these CrossFitters when I would do the courses mm -hmm. is that I would say, Hey, we're going to do a modified version of the paleo diet. Right. And we're going to take out some foods. We're going to reintroduce them. It's kind of like paleo meets elimination diet. One of the things that I would take out for people though, is dairy. Nicole, dairy. you know, my stance on dairy Yeah. is that I just don't think most adult humans should be having dairy. And I just think the research needs to progress to that. That's where I'm at on paleo. You got anything you want to add there? <laughs> I think you covered it all. Again, my whole thing is if you can adhere to it, that that's really all around what I teach my clients. Like, I really don't care what the mechanism is in terms of what makes you feel great. I mean, I have my my middle ground. I like moderation, a little bit of each of these in the middle and then sticking to the basic science behind calories in and calories out is, is my thing. I also really, I mean, for me, 
it's a lot more about getting stronger. I mean, I have a lot of clients that want to lift, so it depends on the goal. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're I'm- just looking to if you're just looking to truly and authentically just drop like pant size and you don't care about what your performance is in the gym, then maybe this would be these would be different conversations. But I consider myself a strength and conditioning coach. And my goal is to get people to lift, to be strong, to feel like, you know, good in their skin, along with a lifestyle that, you know, and from a nutrition standpoint that supports those goals. So, yeah. And listen, I would say the majority of the results that come from paleo are from the fact that you're just eating more whole foods and then you're, you're not eating these calorically dense, highly processed foods, refined foods that really aren't filling you up. They're not satiating. Yeah. I think that's about quality control is like we're heading into January. A lot of my clients are doing what we call a quality control sweep. Like they've had their holiday planned refeeds or cheat meals or whatever terms you guys want to call them. We've increased calories a bit. So they've had more food flexibility and freedom. And so then come January, we usually do a cleanup where it's like, okay, let's audit everything and go through and and maybe pull back on the wine, pull back on some of those highly palatable foods that you've been allotting yourself some freedom to have. And they always see great results. They feel better and they do better. And that really is just quality control. We don't really talk about calories too much at the beginning. If you clean up your quality, you see a lot of good changes to start. So, I mean, if you really want to start somewhere. That's what we've seen with the paleo. Yeah. All right. And then, Nicole, the last one is the carnivore diet. This I don't have. I just can't. To say about I can't. This, to be honest I, with you, I can't with this one. But but it's popular and people are talking about it. And one of the biggest oh, things that people talk where about. Where is it popular? I mean, other than like, it's, it's people talk about it, really? it all the time. Yeah. So here's do the. Wait, art- do you have? Hold on. Hold on. Have I have questions? <laughs> have you ever had any client do it, or have you ever known anybody to do it? Hell no. <laughs> no, me neither. So when no. you say it's popular, Mike, I've never had anybody come to me and be like, "Listen." I've had people <laughs> ask about it. People ask me about it. Yes, but I think they ask about it because they want to know because obviously you and I are very vocal about our opinions on nutrition. So people come to me and go, well, what the hell do you think of this? But I've never had a client come to me and been like, this is the diet I've heard so much about. And well, so here's I've got to try it. <laughs> here's here's my thing with and I guess this is a crossover between paleo and carnivore is this is what our ancestors ate, right? These are some of the claims, right? Our ancestors ate this way. Therefore, we should eat this way. And my argument to that is how the fuck do you know what our ancestors ate? Like, were you there? Do we have video footage? Right? Like, <laughs> so here's my thing is that's a very trendy marketing. But here's my thing. Here, have you seen uh, this guy and he blew up very quickly on social media? Liver King? No, I don't pay attention. Liver, to Liver King. First of all, the guy looks like he's juiced out of his mind. With liver king, like liver, liver king. Yep. Look him up. Look him up right now. He's, he's all carnivore. Pull up your phone. Look him up right now. I am going to look him up right now. We're, we're giving him way too much if he's a kook because we're going to talk about him. Yeah, I mean, he's already got way too much more than I. OK. <laughs> OK. Oh, go ahead. All right. So this guy will be eating like raw bull testicles. He'll be eating. Ugh. He eats raw liver. He'll eat just just like raw meat diet. And he'll just like lift a bunch of heavy shit outside. Oh, I see him. And he's he's juiced out of his mind. And I'm yeah. like, OK, listen. And he's always talking about what our ancestors did. Our ancestors did this. Our ancestors did that. <laughs> so he's always talking about what our ancestors did. And I'm like, so one of the things I, I watched a video from him and he goes, I ate. He's like, I, I eat liver. And he's like, our, our paleolithic ancestors 
the first thing that they went for was the liver when they killed an animal because the liver is the most nutritious part of the animal. And I'm like, first of all, how did they know that the liver was the most nutritious <laughs> part of the animal? And second of all, how do you know? Like, I want proof that this was the first thing that they ate when they killed an animal was the liver because you have yeah. no way of knowing that. So this is my thing with, you know, something like a paleo diet and vegan. The vegan community does this too, Nicole, when they say, oh, well, the, the our ancestors ate mostly plants. Mm -hmm. Because we look at their bones and we see, you know, what they it, it's like. Uh, what was that documentary where they talked about the gladiators? I think it was What the Health. Oh, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or no, which one was the one with the UFC fighters? Oh, I don't remember. I, I it was again. it was it was one of them. And they talked about what the gladiators ate and they left out some data. And so like paleo will say, well, they ate predominantly meat. And then the vegan community will say, well, they ate pre predominantly plants. And I'm like, you guys literally you guys really have no idea. Like you can tell that you we know that they ate some meat because they had nitrogen content in their bones. And yeah. based off of that, you can say, OK, well, nitrogen comes from protein. Uh, it's it's the only carbon containing molecule that has nitrogen on it that right, carbs and fat don't. So we know that they ate ate protein. We don't really know where that protein came from, um, but it, it's likely that they ate meat. Now, with carnivore, there's there's some claims with uh, carnivore and autoimmunity, and this goes back yeah. to the autoimmunity thing. And I, I always people always tell me oh, Jordan Peterson, like Jordan Peterson's daughter. She struggled with autoimmunity her entire life. They couldn't figure it out. She went on the carnivore diet and this cured her. And all that tells me is that she did an elimination diet. Yeah. And she didn't have to go to that extreme to mm -hmm. just eating. So let me give you kind of the rundown on the carnivore diet. The carnivore diet is predominant. It's it's all meat. So it's beef, chicken, turkey, organ meats, lamb, pork, all the meats that you can think of. Salmon, mackerel, sardines, you, all different types of fish, eggs. So you've got you've got like animal animal byproducts. You've got eggs, lard, bone marrow, bone broth. You've got uh some low lactose dairy where you've got like things like heavy cream, hard cheese, butter, and that's what you're limited to. So Nicole, let's run through a sample menu here. A sample menu of, of the carnivore diet looks like this breakfast, eggs, bacon, sardines, lunch, turkey, burger, patty, salmon, jerky, beef tips, dinner, filet mignon, crab, chicken liver, and then for snacks, a small amount of Parmesan cheese and jerky. That does not sound appetizing <laughs> to me whatsoever. What I will say is I want to I want to give a pro to this. The pro is that you'll be eating a lot of protein and you'll feel very satiated. That's probably about it. And it'll be very hard to overconsume food because you'll be very satiated from protein being the most uh, satiating macronutrient. What I will say is that the autoimmunity piece, you can do an elimination diet where you eliminate certain food groups that we know, soy, dairy, peanuts. Uh, gluten, right? You can, you can eliminate certain foods that we know when we do a typical elimination diet that may cause issues with some people with autoimmunity, then reintroduce those foods. So if you, if that means go on a carnivore diet, then sure, but you're supposed to reintroduce foods one at a time to see how they're affecting you. I can almost guarantee that if Jordan Peterson's daughter started reintroducing foods one by one, she'll find other foods that she can eat besides just animals. And I almost feel like mm -hmm. I, I almost feel like this carnivore diet is kind of like the 
it's almost like the Republicans and Democrats were like Democrats are the vegans and Republicans are the uh, carnivores. Like, carnivores. It's, but that's that's how it is. Right. It's like yeah, they're extremes, polar, this polarized thing going yeah. on. Uh, what I will say is from the decades of research that we have on fiber, fiber is important for prevention of cancer and certain diseases. Right. We find with uh, diverticulosis, for example, if you look at the data, people who eat less fiber have a higher incidence of diverticulosis where you have, and, and if you don't, if you're listening to this, you don't know what diverticulosis is. It's essentially you develop these kind of pockets inside of your colon and, you know, things can get trapped in there. It gets irritated and it becomes inflamed. And then diverticulosis becomes diverticulitis. Then you end up in the hospital. You have to be treated because you have this flare up. Uh, and then you're kind of restricted in terms of your eating. You're not really supposed to eat like nuts and seeds and things like that. Cause they can get stuck in there and, you know, create mm -hmm. that, that irritation. So people who eat, Lower fiber have a higher incidence. People who eat higher fiber have a, a lower incidence. And I have actually a study right here. It's right here, Nicole. And the, I see it. it's a, uh, a systemic review. Co-consumption of vegetables and fruits, whole grains and fiber reduces cancer risk of red and processed meat. Because we do know that not particularly red meat, but we do know that processed meats have a, a higher likelihood to cause cancer. But when you're consuming fiber, Along with that, you reduce your risk. And for every 10 grams of fiber that you can that you consume, you reduce your risk and obviously up to a certain threshold is not like kind of infinite, but every 10 for every 10 grams of fiber that you consume, you reduce your risk of breast cancer by 7%. You reduce your risk of stroke by 12% and you reduce your risk of, and this is the more important one is colon cancer by 20%. And then also not to mention the benefits on the microbiota that fiber causes, which we talked about mm -hmm. when we talked about the gut and leaky gut and things like that. So it just, Nicole, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, listen, you know me and our listeners know me at this point too. I'm all about balance. First of all, I'm a Libra. So I like the scales to be balanced. I don't like any one thing being out of whack, whether it be your carbohydrates and your fats or your proteins and your overall calories. Like, I really do stand behind a, a balanced for what, whoever's in front of me in terms of that person. So, I mean, I can't imagine eating that type of food. Nothing plan, but meat, right? But, and, and listen, and I'm, I am 100% a meat eater. So I love meat. So, but even, but even for someone like me, <laughs> that is just, that's not appealing. And, and I like a variety of food. And I like to also go based off of how I'm feeling that day. Like, again, a lot of diets have these forced, this is what you eat. We talk about it when we talk about meal plans, like this is what you have to eat. This is the plan. So this is the diet. This is what you follow. And I'm a little more of a free spirit. I like to have, these are the foods that I can choose from. And this is how I'm going to put it together to plate my food. So I have a protein, a carb, a fat, some veggies, <laughs> in my liquid. And I get to, and I get to be able to manipulate that the way I want to within the parameter of my goals and my calories and what fits into my macros and what my goal is for performance and how I feel in the gym. I'm kind of more of a in the middle type of person. And then when I have to ramp up a goal, like if I wanted to get in better shape for a photo shoot or a show or to go on vacation, then I dial it up a bit and my body responds or I take it back because I haven't been in that place for so long. So if you're someone that's looking to create change in your body in any way, 
you have to really think about how you want to show up every day and what truly authentically is something that you can stick to. All of these have great benefits. All of them have some negatives to it. I, I don't think anything is necessarily good or bad. It just really depends on who you are and how it's going to play a role in your life. There's pros and cons to every eating strategy that you do. Even yeah, if you do exactly. flexible dieting, you could be too right. flexible. You could be too strict. Exactly. Like, there, there are, you know, many different, like, no, there's no one there's different approach diet. Exactly. What I will say is this to kind of piggyback off of what you just said is one of the most important things that you do is you make small changes and you set yourself up with habits that are attainable, right? So you're going to focus on your protein intake. You're going to say, okay, well, I want to have 1.6 to two grams of pro two grams per kilogram of protein per day. That's what's going to be my starting point. I'm just going to focus on that not going to focus on anything else. I'm going to do that for a couple of weeks. I'm going to see how I fare with that. You'll probably lose a few pounds doing that. Or if your goal is to build muscle, you'll probably build some muscle doing that. Then you go on to focusing on your carbs. Then you focus on your fat. You focus on your micronutrients. You focus on increasing variety. You need to take your habits one at a time. And the same thing goes for your workouts. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'll, fo- that I'll say is, like I just said, you need to take a protein anchored protein centered approach to make sure that you're satiated protein is also going to have a higher thermic effect. So you're going to burn more calories eating a higher amount of protein. I think this is where we get into a pro of something like the carnivore diet because you're eating more protein outside of that. The biggest thing that you need to worry about is based on what your goals are. If your goals are to build muscle, you need to be in a small surplus. If your goals are maintenance, your energy expenditure and your energy intake needs to match. If you're going to focus on fat loss, then you need to be in a calorie deficit. Those are the single, that's the single most important thing when it comes to building muscle maintenance or fat loss is your caloric intake. That's going to be the most important piece. And like you said, Nicole is focusing on something that you are going to stick to and that you can stick to. If some of these methods are things that you want to try, I don't think that's inherently bad if you're successful, right? Like if you take somebody who's obese and you put them on a car, regardless of my thoughts on a carnivore diet, you take somebody who's obese and they do a carnivore diet, all of a sudden they're more satiated. They're getting in more protein. They happen to be building a little bit more muscle. Cool. If you're losing weight and now you're no longer obese, you're healthier not being obese and doing a carnivore diet than staying obese. You just have to pick a strategy that works for you and you have to take it one step at a time. And with that being said, Ladies and gentlemen, that was our first episode of 2022. And if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 